It's China's currency, the yuan, not the US dollar, that is accelerating to the downside. There are many who say that the yuan is going to replace the US dollar as dominant reserve currency around the rest of the world, implying that the yuan's value will go up as the US dollar's value goes to zero, as many says. But what we see is that China's yuan continues to get weaker and weaker and weaker, just today hitting 720 to the US dollar, which is a level that we haven't seen since a couple days last November or a couple weeks in October when it seemed like China was falling apart because it was. But we shouldn't rejoice just yet. And by we, I mean anybody outside of China, because as China's yuan goes down and the US dollar goes up against it and other currencies, that's not good for anyone, not in China, not in the United States, nor anywhere in between. Because as I said many, many years ago, this forms the basis of the simplest, maybe most explanatory equation in all of small e economics. CNY down equals bad. And it doesn't just equal bad for China, it equals bad for everyone. And the lower the CNY goes, the faster it gets there, the worse it is likely to be for all of us. Think about how China's yuan has behaved over the last about decade or so, ever since it turned in 2014, right from the very start of 2014, instead of continuing to rise as everyone had expected at the time, suddenly as part of what we call Euro dollar number three, the third outbreak of a global dollar shortage that had a particular emphasis on China for particular reasons we can't get into just here. But in Euro dollar number three, centered on emerging markets in China, the Yuan began to go down, thus birthing our our simple equation CNY down equals bad. Throughout 2014 into 2015, in the early part of 2016, it kept going lower and lower and lower. Emerging market economies were devastated. The United States almost fell into recession. There was no, nothing good anywhere around the world. Think again, uh, think forward, uh, moving to 2018. In 2018, globally synchronized growth. The world was supposed to explode in this inflationary recovery. But instead, right from the start of 2018, again, January 2018, CNY stops rising, rolls over, and by April 2018 is falling precipitously. In fact, this was one of the earliest warning of what be, of, for what became Euro dollar number four, the fourth outbreak of global dollar shortage, because that's what we're really talking about here. When CNY goes down, it's not that the Chinese government is devaluing their currency, as many people still claim to this day, trying to stimulate exports. It's because the cost of accessing dollar funding in the real global reserve currency environment has gone up. And it's not just going up against China. That's why it's a universal equation. If dollar funding costs are going up for China, it's likely they're going up for everyone. An interruption in the monetary system that is causing, among other problems, other currencies to fall in exchange value against the US dollar. But then we get into all the rest of the issues that go along with that, including potentially a deflationary economy. That certainly was the case, or it would have been the case in 2019, though we'll never know for sure. The outbreak of CNY down in 2018, leading to, first of all, inversions in other parts of the yield curve that were confirming the signal that we got from CNY down. And then of course, 2019, rate cuts rather than rate hikes, just as inversions and the higher US dollar exchange value had predicted. Though again, we won't know for sure if that would have led to a recession, but at the very least, it led to a downturn that was substantial enough to force the Fed 
out of its rate hikes and to force other central banks around the world to do other things, including the People's Bank of China, which reformed its loan prime rates, as I mentioned in a recent video, and began to cut those in 2019. And incidentally, but not coincidentally, the Chinese are doing the same thing right now. As CNY goes down further and further and further, the Chinese are also saying that this is not good and it's, it's, a, bad, it's a bad sign consistent with developing recession around the rest of the economy. In fact, the state council in China over the weekend, as I mentioned before, referenced the quote-unquote changing economic landscape that we can see in the falling yuan exchange value. And by changing economic landscape, they quite obviously mean global deflationary recession. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University, memberships available, where we talk about global reserve currency, the money that goes on in it, how it's supposed to work, what it's supposed to do, and why it isn't working and doing the things that we need it to do. We also have research subscriptions available. One is a daily briefing I contribute to marketsinsiderpro.com. And another is a daily deep dive analysis where we dive deep into these topics. We get way into them beyond what we talk about here on YouTube, into the nitty gritty details, what's going on, what's really going on, and what it means for today, as well as hopefully a good idea about tomorrow and beyond. Memberships and research subscriptions all of the information available for you at eurodollar.university. But at the same time as all of this is going on, Mr. Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, right now is testifying before Congress to tell them the Federal Reserve believes that inflation is our biggest risk. So as CNY, a, a, a very dependable and validated historical deflationary signal continues to flash, Powell is convinced that they need to worry about inflation. At least that's what he said. What he said today was, inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. Nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. And he says this because like a lot of other central bankers around the world, they look at core CPI rates, ignoring the signal from regular CPI or PCE deflator rates because of, well, that's what we're going to need to look at today. It is In this very next sentence in Powell's prepared remarks, he said this, despite elevated inflation, longer term inflation expectations appear to remain well anchored as reflected in a broad range of surveys of household businesses and forecasters as well as measures from financial markets and China's yuan. So despite the fact that we've got CNY going down, which is a bad deflationary signal to begin with, we've got all of these expectations for inflation never unanchoring, remaining low throughout the entire period. We've got financial curves. We've got interest rates moving lower that want to go even lower, forward rates moving lower. And yet some, some reason, the Federal Reserve continues to believe, as do other central bankers outside of China, that inflation is the biggest risk. So we need to figure out what it is that Powell is thinking and what it is that's really going on that we can see from China's yuan. So Jay Powell is hawkishly talking to Congress people, telling them we need to continue to raise rates because inflation, 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 core CPI, core CPI, core PCP, 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 PCE deflator, all of that nonsense. Just like in Europe, 
Last week, the Europeans raised rates, referring to the core and the labor market. The labor market is tight. Core rates are, are stubbornly high. And so we need to continue to focus on inflation, even though all of these other pieces of evidence continue to pile up one after another after another, including, as I mentioned, interest rates that even now are fighting against all of these hawkish signals. Despite the fact that Powell is talking, interest rates in the United States, U.S. Treasury rates, longer-term Treasury rates, are lower than they were in March. They're lower than they were back last October, even though the Fed has raised rates substantially over the intermediate period or the interim period. To, to help answer the question about what Powell is thinking, because he's he's thinking like an economist, even though he's not a trained economist, he came from the outside. He's been in that environment long enough. He's been acclimatized to economic speak and certainly econometrics believing in all the sophisticated regressions instead of the simple equations like we have at Eurodollar University. Basically, they all think the same way. And it begins with the Phillips curve. The Phillips curve is at the center of everything that they do, which means that if the unemployment rate is low, they believe that will lead to inflationary pressures. The idea that companies will have to, have to compete for scarce workers, which drives up wages. And as wages go up, companies have to offset those rising costs by raising the prices they charge consumers. And voila, you have inflation. But they're worried about the wage price spiral, where as companies raise prices and becomes consumer price inflation, then workers have to ask for more, raise, more raises and higher wages to offset those higher living costs, which companies then give them. And round and round we go. They call it the dreaded wage price spiral when there's really no evidence there ever really has been one. It's all theoretical. But many economists worried about that back in 2020 and 2021. And to really understand what economists are thinking today, we're going to unpack what they were thinking a couple years ago through the lens of one of the biggest economists out there, Nobel laureate Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke just a couple weeks ago in late May wrote a paper called what caused the U.S. pandemic era inflation, co-written by Olivier, ba Olivier Blanchard. And he explains and lays out exactly what it is that central bankers today, Jay Powell, is talking about. As a former central banker, as the former top central banker, he would know better than anyone else. And he starts out the paper by laying out the case or what economists and central bankers had expected leading up to the outbreak of consumer prices in 2021. Uh, skipping through some of the introduction, he says, uh, Bernanke and Blanchard both say, in contrast, some, some economists, including one of the authors talking about Blanchard, argued that wage inflation and consequently price inflation could rise much more than predicted by conventional calculations predicated on a flat Phillips curve. We won't talk about a flat Phillips curve here. Needless to say, it has a lot to do with what econometric models believe are trying to explain the problems over the last 15 years. Their concerns were that the increase in aggregate demand likely to result from the unprecedentedly large fiscal transfers, together with the cumulative effects of the easing of monetary policy begun in March 2020, these could cause more overheating of an already tight labor market than the optimists expected. An extremely low unemployment rate might in turn cause the Phillips curve to steepen, Moreover, higher and consequently more psychologically salient levels of inflation might lead inflation expectations to de-anchor, raising the potential for a wage price spiral. 
So basically what they all believed was that the psychology of QE combined with the fiscal transfers would lead to unusually tight labor market, therefore Phillips curve, therefore the dreaded wage price spiral, especially as this inflation stuff got in the minds of consumers and led to de-anchoring consumer price expectations. But as we said in the introduction, as Jay Powell said in, in Congress today, the psychology part never happened. There was no de-anchoring of expectations even today. Inflation expectation, consumer price expectations, no matter how you look at them, remain incredibly well anchored and longer run expectations are actually quite low. But what about the other part? What about the wage price spiral? Well, as Bernanke and Blanchard write, well, they got that part wrong too. The critics forecast of higher inflation would prove to be correct, the pair write, indeed even too optimistic, but in substantial part, the sources of the inflation would prove to be different from those they had warned about. It wasn't the Phillips curve. It wasn't psychological impacts from quantitative easing. It wasn't those things. That's not what happened at all. So what Bernanke and Blanchard write today that was the cause of the 2020 consumer price inflation outbreak, the supply shock. We conclude that labor market tightness made at most a modest contribution to inflation early on, resolving the puzzle of how inflation could rise so much despite a flat wage Phillips curve. Instead, most of the early action inflation came from the goods market in the form of sharp increases in some relative prices, including commodity prices and prices in supply constrained sectors. To the extent that commodity prices stabilize and supply chains return to normal, processes that both seem well advanced as of this writing, May 2023, the goods component of market inflation is likely to decrease in importance and the labor market component to, be, to become more dominant. He's saying two things here. Number one, he's admitting what we've said this entire time. It was never inflation. It was a supply shock, the goods component, the imbalance between supply and demand. Demand was, was artificially inflated by government transfers, the redistribution and recirculation of monetary resources into the hands of consumers and businesses who then spent them in an economy whose supply side was so constrained it was unable to meet that rise and that rebound, not rise, that rebound in demand. Demand rebounded much faster than supply did, which led to this massive imbalance that Smalley Economics tells us can only be reconciled with price increases. Not inflation, price increases. And here is Bank Bernanke and Blanchard, two well-known economists, in fact, top economists, mainstream orthodox economists, saying, yeah, it was a supply shock. So given all the information that we have about market prices, what Bernanke's saying, which information, by the way, that the Federal Reserve likely has too, and I guarantee you, Jay Powell and the FOMC has read this paper. Given all of that, why did they still believe that inflation is going to be a problem? Because it's the last part of what Bernanke wrote. What he said was, yes, it was a supply shock that started it, but now that it started, what we're worried about is the Phillips curve. The Phillips curve will somehow reignite and keep inflation going. So the Phillips curve was that we were wrong about the Phillips curve at the start, but maybe we'll be right about the Phillips curve at the end. 
It is just that absurd. This is what economists and policymakers are relying on to keep up this idea of inflation, even though everything is moving against it, including several key warning signs that we've talked about over, over and over and over. The near-term forward spread, inversions, markets saying, tips markets, all the markets saying that inflation isn't the problem. It never was the problem. And Bernanke and Blanchard, again, agree with that. But where they're continuing to go off track here is by saying that tight labor market will pick up the inflationary baton from the supply shock before the supply shock can get to its conclusion. And that's what the markets are disagreeing on. That's what everything is disagreeing. That's what the Chinese are disagreeing. The Chinese are saying as the yuan plummets toward its depths or renewed depths, maybe even toward a new low beyond where it had been in October, the changing economic landscape is the supply shock coming down as predicted by markets, not leading to a Phillips curve rebirth of inflation, but rather a deflationary recession that markets have been anticipating and expecting all along. It is happening and the Chinese are trying to tell you it's happening and the euro dollar system is trying to tell you it's happening as the CNY drops further and further. And that's even more more the case given how CNY had earlier rebounded out of that last, uh, that late, late uh, 2022 funk through only nothing more than reopening hopes, which those diminished and disappeared relatively quickly starting in January. So the supply shock continues to be on track, even if it's not showing up as much as central bankers would like it to in the places that they look. But in the places that anybody else would like to look or in these key places around the marketplace in the world, the monetary system itself, supply shock is proceeding exactly as it was intended all along. And that's the bad news, as is CNY falling further. Simplest equation in all actual economics. CNY down equals bad. It's not about China. It's about the entire global system. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you. Eurodollar University, research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, all of our Eurodollar University members, a sincere thank you. Until next time, take care.